I'm going to ask you to turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 Peter chapter 2. We're going to take just a two or three weeks before the holidays. And uh, I want to take some time to elaborate on a theme that I'd like to see throughout 2018, Lord willing, of what we call breathe, what we're to do as a church. Every once in a while, um, you might be caught in a stressful situation or a time of physical exerting. And one of the things, if you're not conscious of and, and you're focusing on the stress or the pain of the physical exercise, you might actually get to the point where you stop breathing well. You're just doing shallow breathing just to survive. And when you become conscious of what you're doing, then you just stop and tell yourself, wait a second, got to remember to breathe. Let me focus on just the breathing. And, and when you're in the midst of physical exerting and your muscles are spent, it is in that moment when you start to breathe deeply that the oxygen can flow to your muscles in which they start performing better. I would just present to you as a church that it might be time for us just to breathe. To think through what is the life-giving force of our church. To take a few times together as a church and just to focus this year to say, what is it that gives us life that we can begin and so is with that thought, I want to talk about how we as believers inhale and exhale. You have to do both for it to work right. And so I'm going to take today, Lord willing, just a little bit of time and talk about what it is that we inhale. What is it that we receive? And that takes us to 1 Peter and in reading chapter 2, I'm going to focus uh, this morning on verses 1 through 3. But to do that, we must also look at what comes before that in 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning with verse 22. The context of this book is suffering. Peter is writing to a church and to believers that are enduring persecution and suffering. And he's trying to help them to say, how can we grow in this? It is true that when we look across history and time and people, we will see that bad things happen to all people. But you'll find a strange result. That in some people, the persecutions, the difficulty, the trials and adversities and will force them and change them to bitter, hard people. And you would think, well, maybe it's just because God's given them a raw deal. Yet, you see some people that go through the same trials, adversities, challenges, that instead of making them hard, they become sweet, better, somehow through it all. It's true that the same sun that melts the wax also hardens the clay. How is it that we can choose to have a response to adversities and trials and challenges that makes us better, more sweet, more Christ-like, not bitter and hard. It is that which 
Peter is shooting for as he writes this letter, understanding the persecution, the suffering that they're going through, and he gives them some things for them to think through. I want you to be more Christ-like through it all, in fact, because it all, because of the persecutions, because of the challenges. And so that's where we come to in chapter 1, verse 22, and then through chapter 2. And this being God's word, I'm going to ask that we stand as we read this together. Starting with chapter 1, verse 22, through chapter 2, verse 3. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of a grass. The grass withers, and the flower fells, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So, Put away all malice, and all deceit, and hypocrisy, and envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You may be seated. The overall thrust of what Peter is writing in this is he wants the people to love one another in the midst of persecution, in the midst of the challenges, and all that's coming against them. He says, remember church, love one another. But the question quickly comes, how do we do that? It's interesting that in the persecution, in the trials, in the challenges, often is when we get most testy, most irritable. And working with people in funerals um, and seeing in the times of death, I've realized that in the time when families are grieving together, often is when patience gets challenged. And you will hear of family fights and quarrels that pop up in the midst of the grief. It wasn't too long ago, many of you remember right here in Nightdale. Uh, there was physical damage to the pool funeral home because of a fight that broke out in the funeral home. They had to call the police in. Uh, and you think, my goodness. But I've seen it happen more and more. And a lot of it is because that when we are in challenges, when we are in hardship, when there's adversity and things are not going like we want to, we use our energies and all our natural grace is being consumed by that. And so when it comes to that person who's always got that little piece of irritant in your life, then it's hard to express grace in that time. Because the grace that's called for is supernatural, not natural. And so he says to them, I want you to learn to love one another, but it's going to happen because you're feeding on the right thing. And so we're going to talk about the Word of God. We're going to talk about the role of the Word of God in our life, how it helps us 
to love helps us to know what life is, will help us to breathe. And so the challenge simply is, let us in 2018, let us in every day of our life, breathe God's word. It is amazing, uh, I was reading about how it is that a baby starts to breathe. Do you know that while they're in the mother's womb, they're actually uh, breathing liquid. Uh, It is through the placenta that the mother supplies the oxygen to the baby. But as the baby is born, it is still a wonder for doctors to try to figure out how it is that a baby starts to breathe air. When the umbilical cord is cut off and severed, uh, then there seems to be some hormonal changes that is happening in the labor process where the liquids that are in the lungs are no longer being produced in the baby's lungs and they start to dry out. And then as it's being stimulated, the skin of the baby is being stimulated by the air and the physical touch, it The lungs that have been exercising without any real purpose because it hasn't been breathing air, all of a sudden the lungs start to kick in and air slowly starts to fill those lungs. And it's said that the hardest breath you will ever breathe will be the first three to five breaths you ever make in your life. But it's an amazing thing. I would say to you that when God does a spiritual work in our life, it is to transfer the air we breathe from the air of this world and the thinking of ourself in this world to God's word. So, as we read this, I want you to notice verse 22 of chapter 1. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. One of the first things that has to happen in our life for us to grow spiritually, is we have to accept God's word as true. There has to be the acknowledgement that there is a word spoken by God, and it's something that speaks to our heart that we conform to. It's interesting as we look across the world and society, that usually there's just two or three systems, generally speaking, that cover our belief system. There is what we call secularism, which basically is another word of materialism, naturalism, that only thing that matters is the stuff you see. There's no spiritual world. It's just the stuff you see, and that's what you deal with. And so let's focus on that. You decide what is right and wrong for whatever pleases you. That covers communism, Marxism, and a lot of things. It covers a lot of what you see in America. And then there's another system. Kind of a a pantheism, which basically says everything that really matters is the spiritual world, not the natural world. And everything is spirit. And so everything is God. And so you declare your truth. Have you heard that phrase? You just need to live your truth. And basically, it's up to us to generate, to muster, and figure out what is right and wrong. It's interesting whether it's naturalism or this pantheism. It all has the same conclusion that you never really have to conform to anything. You generate what is most comfortable to you. Is there any wonder why Christianity has such a hard pill to swallow for the people? Because it is the one thing that says there is an objective 
truth out there. There is something which speaks into our heart that we can no longer just determine what is right and wrong for ourselves. That there is truth and it looks like Jesus Christ. And there is something which we have to acknowledge and allow God to cross our will. And so it's to first of all understand that God is speaking and to accept God's word as true. When he says that we are obedient, purify your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love. And that lets us know that when I love somebody, it's not just to say what is sentimental. It's not just the feelings that this ought to be nice to someone. It's not just to treat them as I want to be treated, but it's to say there is truth from the Word of God, and if I love someone, I am desiring them not just to be true to themselves, but to say I want to see them true to Christ, who is the source of joy in our life. And so loving looks a little bit different when it's done out of the truth of God's Word, but we accept God's Word as truth. Now, you say, well, Pastor, are you saying that, um, that everything in the book is true, that you're saying that, that the Bible is true? With, and, and surely, you know, man was involved in this, I, and, and so everything that we see of man is messed up. So it stands to reason that, uh, well, the Bible ought to be messed up too. There's a couple problems with that view. First of all, you're saying that God couldn't do that. That God could not reveal himself. That, that God is limited by mankind. And so that's one thing you're saying. And so uh, you have a very limited God, if that's the statement that you're going with and you're living by. The other thing is Jesus. Jesus makes a big kink in the works. It's historically true Jesus has come. And it's historically true that he presented himself as more than a prophet. It's have, you have a hard time explaining the existence of the church apart from Jesus Christ claiming to be God, dying on the cross and resurrecting. And when you realize that Jesus has come as a historical point and rejective point in history that we can look at, then the question is what did Jesus have to say about the word of God? And he said simply that there is not one jot, one tittle, which was a small aspect of the Hebrew alphabet. It's like the dot on the eye. There's not one jot or tittle from the word of God that will pass away. In other words, Jesus himself believed that every little dot on the eye was from God and would be true. So what do you do with Jesus? And, and so... As we read this, he goes on and explains about this word of God. He says, you've been born again, not of a perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. So how we've even come to know Jesus is the word of God. Think about it. Colossians chapter 2 verse 6 says, just as we receive Christ, so walk ye in him. How did we receive Christ? First of all, it was a statement that we had to come to terms with. You're a sinner. You've messed up. We have rebelled against God. Where did that come from? It came from the word of God. Romans 3.23, for all has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That we are all sinners and separated from God. That is a truth that is being revealed to us. Do you believe that? 
I've come across some right here in Nightdale as I talk to them. And when the fellow says to me, he says, you know, the problem I have with Christianity is, that, is I, have to be, I have to see myself as bad. That's the problem I have with Christianity. I have to see myself as bad. And I said, you're right. You do. And the problem is your standard. Your standard is you think is someone else and you can always find someone worse off than you are. But the Bible says that the standard is God himself. And in comparison to God, we are rebellious and self-centered. But the other thing is we read the word of God. It says we receive Christ, so walk in. Not only do we acknowledge that we're sinners, but the Bible says, but God loves us despite that. God gave his love toward us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5, 8. And then now we are children of God because of Jesus Christ. We accept God's word as true to say, that's who I once was. I once was a rebellious against God, but God now sees me as his child. I'm beloved. It is to accept God's word as true. Not only what it says in, in about who God is and who Jesus is, but what he says about me. We'll keep on reading this word of God, this living and abiding word of God. He quotes from Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 24 of chapter 1. He says, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. It is amazing to me as I look in church history as we've had the the 500 year Reformation celebration in October just to see the same word of God that is shaping the Martin Luthers 500 years ago, shaping the early church fathers thousands of years ago, is the same word of God that is shaping me, shaped my granddad, and I pray will shape my children and those who come after me. It's the same word of God. And life is short. It's fleeting. I don't need the opinions of others. Those are as fleeting as the people themselves. But if I can have the word of God that is enduring as a church to say, let us do that together. Let us seek the word of God. This word is the good news that was preached to you. And so in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, because of that, then put away the hindrances that keeps us from loving and keeps us from the word of God. And you just list out. All these things are attacks on the church, attacks on the love of God's people. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, all slander. All of these things chip away, undermine who God's church is. So it must be replaced with something else. And I would say to you as a church, this is where we come to verse 2. Let green pines be like this. Like newborn infants, let's long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So not only to accept God's word as true, but to crave God's word as life-giving. To crave God's word as life-giving in our life. That is what you see right here in verse 2. And so... uh, I wonder, as we look at trials and adversities and challenges, if the Word of God is not active in your life, then the end result is that we become resentful, bitter, hard, distrustful. But if the Word of God can come into our life in those times, it will produce instead a loving, forgiving aspect of who we can be. It grows us up into Christ-likeness. So for this reason... We as a church are going to do a church-wide Bible reading plan. 
um, church-wide Bible reading plan that will begin in January. Uh, it's uh, something called F260. F260 is the name of it. Why is it called 260? Because it's going to prescribe 260 days within this next year that we'll read the Bible. Well, so 260, that seems to be lacking uh, some days. Isn't there like 352 days in a year? No. 365 days in a year? <laughs> just, just a little listening check. Just a little listening check. You guys are listening. Good. Uh, <laughs> all right. So why is it 250 Thank you, 260. Why are we doing 260 Bible day, day, 260 day Bible reading plan and not the full year? Well, because we know how we are. We'll forget a day, got busy a day, and you get all down on yourself, think, oh my goodness, I'm a day behind, two days behind, three days behind, and our tendency is like, well, we'll just give up at that point. We want this to be a habit that you can continue um, a habit that you can continue. So it's essentially five days a week that we're asking that we read the Bible together. Um, you can find this if you, if you have the Bible app, uh, the YouVersion Bible app. If you look Bible reading plans, you'll see if you look up uh, F260, it'll come up, uh, if those of you who like to do that. But we'll be providing for you, if you do not do that, we'll be providing for you something hard, something on paper, that you can read this yourself uh, and follow along with it. It's something that as we go together in our corporate worship, we want uh, our leaders as they're up here to have a Bible reading time in our worship together like we do on Sunday morning. So just as we pray together, we want us to have someone coming up reading from the Bible reading selection for that week that we uh, put this continually in front of you. Um, and so it's something that we want to do as a church, that we encourage one another simply to read the Word of God together, to breathe, to inhale God's Word, to share it with one another uh, as we go. And so as we meet together, that we can talk about what we're reading. Um, for some of the, the teachers, we'll be providing uh, for you a book uh, that will help in that. That will look something like this, Foundations, uh, that will just give you a little bit of commentary uh, from those readings for that week. Uh, but what we want you to do as you read is highlight, as you read, highlight those, those passages that really speak to your heart. Uh, write those verses down uh, so that they stand out more in your, in your reading as you think and look back on that time. We want you to take some time to explain those verses Think through those verses. Why was that verse written? Who was it originally written to? How does it fit with the verses that go before and after? Why did the Holy Spirit include this passage in this book? Was he intending to communicate through this text? To, to ask these type of questions uh, as you read through it. Then apply it in your life. How does this verse help me? How does it change how I think about my life, about my future, about God? about others. Uh, what does this look like in my life? Uh, and what is God saying to me in this? And then respond. This is H-E-A-R. Highlight, explain, apply, respond. What do you do with God now? Maybe is there someone to talk to? 
because of this verse. How should you pray about this verse? Is there a change that needs to be made in your life together? Uh, And so we want us to crave God's word for life. And here's the thing about this. It's interesting. You know, biologically, when we're eating food and we stop eating, uh, we stop, uh, we have a crave increase. But if you stop eating long enough, you may not know this, but if you stop eating long enough, your appetite goes away. You'd have, you might have to take me by faith on that. <laughs> but it does. It's like your, your body just stops craving. I'm afraid that sometimes in our life spiritually, we have been so absent of God's word feeding us that we've long ago, long ago gone past the craving stage. And now it's just, uh, I'm praying that as we read the word of God together, that there will become a desire for God's word, that you want to hear from the Lord. And you learn how to hear from the Lord by the practice of reading God's word. But then as we keep on reading, I want to take you back right to the beginning of what we read. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And so the point that he's making is that as you obey the truth, it has a work in your soul so that you start to love sincerely one another And so craving God's word for life translate into letting God's word produce love in us. God's word works love among us. One of the great tragedies of a church that is absence of love is it reveals an absence of God's word working in our hearts individually. To love someone means that sometimes you have great conflicts within yourself, frustrations and agonizing over what is the right thing to do versus what you want to do. And if God's word is not speaking into that internal conflict with his spirit, then there is very little hope of success, of brotherly love that continues on. Brotherly love is easy to do when everyone is doing what you want them to do. But when has that ever happened when you're with other people? It must be that brotherly love exercises itself especially when people are doing things other than what you would have them to do. It is the Word of God that produces this as we focus on Christ. What is the motivation for this? Read chapter 2, verse 2, going into the verse 3. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you've tasted that the Lord is good. That's what it comes back to. We don't love each other so that we will know the goodness of God. It is looking back and seeing how God has been good to us, tasting and seeing. This this is flowing from Psalm 34. Psalm 34 seems to mean a good deal to Peter as he writes this book. He quotes it several times uh, in this passage. And Psalm 34, uh, what narrators have said about this passage is that this is a time when David was fleeing away from 
uh, King Saul, and he's hiding out in Philistia, and there is before the Philistine king, and yet God spares him, though he is before the enemy king. Psalm 34, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried. The Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Yet the young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. It keeps on going. It's a beautiful psalm to read. But it's flowing out of this, this thought of what has God done for us? How has he been good to you in your life? Did you know the Bible says in Romans that the goodness of the Lord leads to repentance? One of the greatest things that we can do is just personally have moments and say, let's consider how God has moved in our life. How has God worked? How has God spared us in different ways in our life? The, the person that is ungrateful is the person who never contemplates and considers all that God has done. And in their ungratefulness, they cease worshiping God. And in their ungratefulness, they no longer regard God as God. And God allows them to exchange the truth of who God is for lies. We see this in Romans chapter 1. As God, through Paul, diagnoses the, the sinful condition of society, it goes all the way back and starts with this ungratefulness, unthankfulness. So that's why I'm a little bit of a, a Thanksgiving purist. It's like it speaks to a spiritual truth. Let's take the time to thank God. As a church... We have a lot of things to thank God for. There's been hard moments, some hard things. Things I never would have wanted, but nonetheless they've happened. But yet, have you looked at God's hand? If you considered God's hand, the tracing of His hand through all these things. As I shared with my Indian brother, Finney, I said, you know, there's some challenges in our church, but there's nothing, there's nothing like what your pastors are dealing with in India. No one's burning up our buildings. No one's coming in and shooting our body. That wasn't just a church killing. That was a church that was killed. That was a church that was killed. God has spared us many things. And I'm thankful for a people that want to know what God's word says. And says together, we will follow God's word. And just as we see that, it applies to us personally. And if we're going to make a stand to say, this is what God's word says, whether it's in our society regarding sexuality, regarding racism, 
then we have to, at the same time, let the Word of God speak in our hearts personally every day. Would you pray with me? I'm going I'm to invite us to pray and say, we want God to give us a desire for His Word. This Wednesday, we're going to have a time of prayer. I invite you to come. And we're inviting God to restore us as a church. We're going to invite Him to cleanse us. We're going to ask for confession. And it doesn't really matter whether we individually are part of the sin, but we are a part of the church that sins. And thus, the church needs to confess our sins before God and repent. And I'm going to pray for God to give us a holy zeal for His Word. To just stop, stop being stressed out, and just breathe God's Word in. And give us desire for His Word. Let's pray.